0: where's my podcast? Is that my podcast? It goes, that's an actual play. That's not my podcast. Where's my podcast? Is that my podcast? It goes, that's a true crime podcast. That's not my podcast. Where's my podcast? It goes, Hello and welcome to this, the thirty-fourth episode of the complete discography. Uh, tonight, we are, depending on your location in this uh, on this round world, um, afternoon or early afternoon or whatever I don't know when you're listening to this, uh, we are discussing the thirty-fourth book in the Discworld series, Thud! Exclamation point. Uh, before we get started, let's all introduce ourselves.
1: Anna, you want to lead us off?
2: I'm Anna, and my Black Ripper obsession is arts and
1: crafts i'm justin and my more porky and thud federation rating is frankly frightening
0: frightening in a good way or a bad way
1: that's up to you Uh
0: cat
3: i'm cat and i'm lance constable tentacles
0: and i am aaron and i think about axes um and for those of you who aren't familiar with that voice uh cat would you like to actually introduce yourself
4: Oh
3: yeah, I'm Kat Day. I uh, live on Twitter at Chronicle Flask. You might have seen me there. Uh, I also blog in a few places and um, I am one of the assistant editors at Pseudopod, the horror podcast.
0: And it's funny because Pseudopod was, I'm pretty sure, one of the very first podcasts I listened to when I got one of those little iPhone, uh, um, one of those little stick uh, iPods uh, way, way back in the day. It was that and Escape Pod and PodCastle. And...
3: Yeah, the, the Escape Artist team are really amazing and have been doing fantastic work for some time now and, uh, and continue to tell stories well. That's our job.
0: I'd highly recommend them. And I'm going to put in the show notes a list of Pratchett-adjacent uh, episodes that Count recommended to me.
3: Well, some of them are a bit Pratchett-adjacent. Some of them are just more cosmic horror, but I just... Uh, I just picked out a few favourites. Actually, one of a uh, story that I wrote is out this week. Ooh. Uh, um, I wrote it and narrated it, in fact. And it is called When I Was Young, I Did Not Need Magic. And I would love it if people would pop over there and listen to that, if I may just plug my <laughs> own.
2: Oh, <laughs> you're Plug my own story. <laughs> Absolutely plug your own stuff. Right That's, that sounds yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I love the title. Mm, thank you.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I love that story a little bit. It's sinister, but also it is a little bit funny in places I like to imagine.
0: <laughs> so, so what was your first Discworld book?
3: So uh, my mum uh, turned up one day with The Colour of Magic and the Light Fantastic, um, which I think I was about 14. She had picked them up because of the Josh Kirby covers. Uh, I think back then this was a time, this was before the, the concept of young adult literature was really a thing so she was just looking for things that looked interesting you know so she'd pick them up because of the bright covers she gave them to me and then I read the dark side of the sun the strata and then equal rights I, I'm not quite sure what order I did it in actually and then I just ended up reading all the books as they came out pretty much because I'm that old um <laughs> afraid so yeah so they're all sitting on my shelf in a very kind of random haphazard uh way just of all the covers that i just picked up as we went along through the years so i just have this very long shelf with all the books on it um, but i like that i like the fact that it's I like the fact that it doesn't it doesn't match it's kind of like a little history little sort of timeline
0: uh, and what would you say your comfort read book is like what's the one that you go to if you really just need something
3: uh you know, I, I love them all so much. It's really hard. It's like being asked to pick your favorite child, isn't it? Um, oh, I no. have an answer for
0: that, but <laughs> sure, go ahead. I,
3: I, was, I mean, I will sit and read any Discord book, but um, I do have a particular soft spot for equal rights, and I get a bit sad when people immediately skip like the first five books or so, mm. um, because... I love Equal Rights because, for me, that is the book where the Discworld first came into its own. Absolutely. And, and it becomes... it Because The Colour of Magic and The Light Fantastic are also great books, and I also have a soft spot for them and also get a bit sad when people people talk about them as though they're, they're some... No, don't start there! <laughs> you know, as though they're awful. And that they're not. But they, they are two characters running around a fantastical world-having adventures. Whereas... I always feel like in the in equal rights Pratchett kind of sat down and went right now this is going to be a bit different you know and mm-hmm. and really kind of dug into those characters and started doing something that was really properly different from other fantasy stuff that was out there at the time yeah. and I also like the fact that The Shepherd's Crown and I know some people are a bit uncomfortable about reading The Shepherd's Crown and I and I kind of get it but I uh, at the risk of doing some slight spoilers, there are lots of callbacks in the Shepherd's Crown to equal rights, which you will realise if you read the two close together. And I, I love that because I felt like it was Pratchett's way of saying this is the end, and I've come back to the start. Mm. And I just, I just really love, I just really love that.
0: This whole thing—I've said this many times on air now, so I'll probably cut it out, but. Uh this whole thing is actually secretly just a support group for me as I finally read the shepherd's crown.
2: And also and yeah. also me. Yeah, I know cuz I also haven't read it. It cuz it, it's not discomfort so much as like it feels like once I once I read it it'll be like the end will really have come.
0: Yeah, me too.
3: Yeah, I I know a lot of people feel like that. I know, but you should read it. <laughs>
0: I think we should probably talk about this rather large book. <laughs> 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 and it is uh, 450 pages in my edition, at least. So I'm going to skip a lot. Uh, we'll probably touch on some things that I don't talk about in the summary, but that's because this is an audiobook. This is a podcast where we're talking about the book. So the anniversary of the Battle of Coombe Valley is fast approaching. The famous engagement where the dwarves or the trolls ambushed the trolls or the dwarves. And, like many, if not all, Vimes novels, we start with a murder. Maybe. There's quite a bit of buzz at the street level, and below street level, about the possible demise of the religious fundamentalist dwarf, Greg Hamcrusher, who, if he is dead, was clearly killed by a troll. Adding to Vimes' workload is the newest recruit, the vampire named Sally, as well as a government inspector in the shiny shoes and shiny name of A.E. Pessimal. And the fearsome duo of Knobs and Colin are investigating the theft of the massive painting commemorating the Battle of Coombe Valley by the famously office rocker artist Methodia Rascal, a painting that is the source of Da Vinci Code-level conspiracy theories. And Vimes' dad, too, which means that against every fiber of cop instinct, he knows that the most important thing in the world is to be home every night at 6 p.m. sharp for a ceremonial reading of Where's My Cow to Young Sam. Ham Crusher is indeed dead, though the investigation gets both political and metaphysical far faster than Vimes prefers his work to be. There are many more dead dwarves, mysterious mines signed, dwarves of flamethrowers. Vimes decides to split the difference between ankh and Deep Downer, and assigns Carrot to be the smelter of truth. I'm translating from Dwarfish here. Vimes also nicks himself on something in the mine, maybe, and a separate storyline begins there with this whole thing with the summoning dark. Things go from bad to worse with dwarf-troll relations, though an all-out battle is mitigated by the judicious application of inebriants to both sides. A.E. Pessimal is wounded in battle defending Vimes and gets the taste for the life of the City Watch, which is extremely convenient to the paperwork-averse Vimes. There's also an attempt on the life of Sybil and young Sam, though that goes much more poorly for the assailants than they could have ever expected. Don't fuck with Sybil. Two new characters, both of whom are far more than they appear, come into the story. One is the dwarf Greg Bashfulson, who I could really only describe as reconstructionist in that he seems to cleave to the deep meaning of the tenets of dwarven belief rather than to the words on the page. And the other is a robed and hooded troll who goes by the name Mr. Shine. Both seem to have a shared ulterior motive of reconciliation and understanding through long-term societal change. Vimes is, as per usual, maneuvered into traveling out of the city to fix the problem at its root. He and the City Watch Gang investigate Coombe Valley and, after a series of events, discover the real story of the battle, the cause of Methodia Rastle's madness, and possibly a truth-and-reconciliation-style step toward repairing the millennia's long hostility between the dwarves and the trolls. Again, there's a lot I didn't say, but you should read the book. So, uh, before we go on, is there anything that we need to clarify? Is there anything we need to, anything we need to touch up?
3: Uh I think the the painting, the Battle of the Coombe Valley.
4: Mm-hmm. I think
3: that it is it is uh 'cause there's a little bit, bit of a subplot that goes on with Colon and Nobby that they do uh they they do say some some like nice little bits. There are some lovely little quotes which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah. also I uh that painting there's a there's a bit at the end and I really don't want to miss it, where there's a lovely little call. Back to the painting that links it to the Summoning Dark. Hmm. So I just, I'm just. Sort of oh, kind of...
0: I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay,
3: cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah. I so like just. I would love to get a take from everybody. What is your vision of it? Because like for me, it's somewhere between the Bayou Tapestry and Guernica.
1: I I, I think there's a funny thing with art of like it's either much larger or much smaller than you imagine is when you see it in person usually. Yeah. Like like that that's my experience of like like when when I when I saw Washington Crossing the Deli- Delaware for the first time, I was like, oh wow, this is huge. Yeah. And I thought this was just like something you could put on a normal wall. But I sort of um same thing goes for pers- persistence of memory by Dolly that like
2: you go to see it and it's like bitty.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. or the or actually Night Watch when I saw it in the Rex Museum, I was like, holy crap, that's huge.
1: I think my idea of it, at least how I'm picturing it, is something like Washington Cross the Delaware mixed with I can't remember the name of it, but it's if you um if you go to the Met in New York, there's a there's a pan there's a Panoscopic. It's Panoscopic, yeah, that's the word. I got that from Cat's uh, Notes. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, painting of the gardens, I think at Versailles. Mm. So I think it's like that, but with like a full, like well, like like intricate battle. Because it sounds like that. This is actually quite like the like it's very detailed. It sounds like mm-hmm. so. I, I've got that in my brain.
3: I mean, there is isn't that bit where Sybil says that she has made a one to five scale. Yeah, sh- you know, shrunk, and the, the the small version is still big enough to go round vimes. Mm-hmm. So it must be pretty big, right?
0: <laughs> I think they say it's about fifty feet. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, fifty by wow. ten.
4: Yeah,
3: right. Yeah, so it is a big. It's a big thing that we're imagining. I mean, it was it was a very definite reference to the Da Vinci Code, which was mm-hmm. sort of very yeah. popular at the time. Um, but then also yeah i think it's it's important that we are clear that it's a circle
2: mm-hmm. it always it always yeah. like even though this isn't you know, in terms of like portraying a real event versus something completely not a real event it, but like despite that disconnect it always kind of reminds me of bosch's um the garden of earthly delights that's kind of what cuz so much yeah, is going and, on yeah and the like lo- yeah. the the thing of like Raths, rascals, madness, like and mm-hmm. the Garden of Earth de- Earthly Delights is just a weird painting, right? Um, and those kind mm-hmm. of always just link up in my head.
0: Mentioning uh, the the one to five reproduction that Sybil did, though, I, I mean, I'm going to say this probably a few times this recording, but oh my god, we get so much more Sybil in this book, and she's so cool in every yes. scene. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah she she comes into her own i think
2: here and then of course in snuff as well yeah uh yeah. i love i love the scene where is it the museum curator who's like gosh such such a shame that that copy no longer exists and she's like what are you talking about i've i've got it in the attic like give me five minutes
0: yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so just quickly keeping to form here justin what what is what's your sort of broad first impression
1: I I think overall, I I think it is interesting. And it's like, it's much less a like traditional watchbook. And it's much more like, I I think it was uh, Anna who noted that it's like, they're more political. It's a more political thriller now. Like the mystery is there, but this is more about a political misunderstanding. Honestly, if I had to like slot it into like a genre, this feels like, instead of a Poirot book it's a Tom Clancy Mm -hmm, book mm -hmm. except written by somebody who
4: understands
1: like culture (laughs) (laughs) I'll take shots of the dead
0: (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah Kat Anna what are your thoughts on this reread uh
3: well I I mean following on from what Justin just said there is a quote from Vimes which I made a note of because I thought it summed it up It's this bit where he says, ye gods, it was so much better when there were just four of us up against that bloody great dragon, Vines thought, as they walked on. (laughs) Of course, we nearly got burned alive a few times, but at least it wasn't complicated. It was a damn great dragon. You could see it coming. It didn't get political on you. And I I really feel like that is Terry Pratchett going, yeah. So I wrote this funny fantasy story where like, some watchmen fought a bloody great dragon and what i'm doing now is i'm doing some politics yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> buckle up kids <laughs> <laughs> now it's about to get political yeah so it's like it's a it's a it's a watchbook but it's a much more grown up watchbook you know it's uh-huh. going to it's going to get into the stuff in this book and
2: even even though we have the rest of the the rest of the watch there it's still like very strongly a vimes book and and i feel yeah. like you know, now that we're kind of out of the cop books and into the political thrillers, I'm liking the Vimes books a lot better. That um, I feel like that the like political, th- the noir th- political thriller is a really like nice subgenre for Vimes to live in. Because um,
4: mm-hmm.
0: he's a suspicious bastard. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that really stands out for me in this book, and like and the interactions uh, Vimes has in this is that it's no it's no longer just about finding a murderer. It is about Vimes having to come with the realization that he is part of a system in Ankh-Morpork that like, has to interact and interface with the public. And, and he can't do everything he wants just by waving his badge, but has to actually make compromises and talk with people. And he has to he has to delve deeper than just the surface level mm-hmm. okay, for mm-hmm. pardoning the pun. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't think it's I don't think it's a pun. I think that's a very deliberate metaphor. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the thing that really stood out for me um, that I just it just stood out for me like a like a sore spot was around two hundred fifty pages in. Vimes and Vetinari are discussing how, like, the plotters are going to start plotting now because of you know this political and, and social unrest. And in previous Vetinari Vimes books, that's what starts the book, and they're like they're ahead of the plot now. Mm-hmm. And that you know, they're ahead of previous plots now again because you know the great undertaking is, is already underway, yeah. But but also Vimes is, is so different, uh, from from Guards, still Vimes though.
2: And this is one where I actually, um, for my air quotes reread, I actually listened to the audiobook because I've read it in paper many, many times and figured I'd try out something different. The audiobook is stellar. Um, just outstanding.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Stephen Briggs. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: I think the I think the only thing that I have an issue with, because I've just switched to audiobooks now because it's just it's easier. The only thing that I think I have a problem with in the audiobooks is that this this is the most nitpick thing. But they don't put enough space between when there's a POV shift. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So there were times when I thought I had accidentally gotten like abridged or something, or it had skipped ahead or something, because it's like it it does like a paragraph break instead of like what you would normally see for like like I, I don't even know like what you call it in in editorial, but like when you have like that more significant chunk break in a in a chapter to signify that like time passes. Or that there is, you know, like time passage or point shift.
0: But in the book, it has this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and that's, that's, well, that's showing like a thing. Like that's showing the thing on the wall, right? Yes. That's
0: the summoning dark.
1: Yeah. So, oh, is that like an actual thing? Yeah. It it puts throughout the book? Yes. In all of those little
0: inter chapter breaks that you're talking about, which, you know, Terry doesn't use chapters, but, you know.
1: Right. Um, and so yeah, that that, that is frustrating. Um, but it was like it usually it's a thing of just like, okay, I've gotta go back forty-five seconds and uh reacquaint myself here. But yeah, it's like minor thing, but it was like, oh hey. I,
0: I have to say I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for a lot of the discussions that Sir Terry probably had with this typesetter It was like, No, I do in fact want to use that font there. Yeah. <clears throat> it needs to look exactly like this. <laughs> yes, I know it looks like a scribble, I don't care.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean and, and in not so much in this book, but there are some books as well where he deliberately uses the wrong form of a word. Mm-hmm. Like the one that always springs to my mind is when he's talking about the vampires and they keep using the word prey and they and it's and it's P-R-E-Y and instead of P-R-A-Y. And you know, and I just think, oh God, he must have just had so many arguments with <laughs> copy editors. <laughs> like, do you mean prey? Like, no. no I very very deliberately do not mean that I mean pray with an e you know and it's just there's just loads of stuff like that where you just you feel like he never did anything by accident Mm
4: -hmm.
3: nothing is an accident like it is all every single letter on the page is carefully constructed you know it's there mm -hmm. for a reason my only yeah.
2: problem with going through and reading it as the audiobook is that you can neither highlight nor dog ear an audiobook.
4: Um, and so I was <laughs> yeah
2: hit the hit the like filling out the document point and was just like, oh, normally I have like fifty highlights by this point, and now I have zero. <laughs> Two TV tropes we go. So
0: what would you all pull out as some of the main theses or themes of this book?
3: Uh, I think for me this book is about asking whose version of events are you hearing and I and I think that's an important question for a a central kind of police character to be posing so and I think it's right there and it's it's sort of threaded all the way through all the characters you know why do you believe this thing that you believe right why why do you accept this version of events? And is there another way, another perspective that you're not seeing? Mm-hmm. And there's even this brilliant bit with, um, and there's so many great lines with Nobby and Colon in this, but there's this bit <laughs> where it says, you know, they're talking about conspiracy theorists. And, uh, and Fred says, your mate Dave says the government, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, your mate Dave says the government always hushes things up, Nobby, said Fred. Well, they do. Yeah, except he always gets to hear about them and he never gets hushed up, said Fred. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I mean, there's just loads of, I mean, and so it's there on a big level. Mm -hmm. It's kind of why do the trolls believe what they believe? Why do the dwarfs believe what they believe? Are both, can both versions of events be true? And then Mm -hmm. right down onto these very small scale Little almost jokey character things that are going on. You know, this person sees it this way, this person sees it that way. I feel like he's playing with those perspectives mm-hmm. all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think the one of the things that, um, I mean, I think yeah. we have a little bit different, but they but they're intertwined. But I think one of the things that comes from this is that hate is not. It is. It is a learned trait. It is not something natural. It is learned and passed to. Those around us, and it can be unlearned, but it requires effort and work, um, and it all and it requires like purposeful reaching.
2: Yeah, out. and and kind of my take on it as well is that it ends up being kind of self perpetuating without that work going in. That you know, at this point, there's nobody left who remembers the original Coon Valley. There's nobody left whose great grandparents remember the original Coombe Valley, you know, going back generations and generations, but the the animosity is still there. And like that, it's, you know, who cares? You know, the, it's sort of the, you know, the thing where it's hit the point of like, you know, who cares if the dwarfs ambush the trolls or the trolls ambush the dwarfs because we all hate each other. And that's going to be true forever. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh-huh.
2: But like Justin says, you know, you can, you can like, you know, you can put the work in to start to chip away at that and, you know, forge a path forward.
0: Yeah. I, I saw a lot in, in this book too, about like related to all of that, the the intertwining of history and mythology verging into religion or, or at least, you know, religious like tenets. Cause I don't think that, I don't know if you could call the dwarves religious so much as like, I don't know. Um, I guess they kind of are, but anyway, like the, the the deep downers in particular who fundamentally distrust everything that is in sunlight and to the point where some of them don't even believe that humans actually exist um i mean this is again terry showing off the wealth of things that he knows about because that's just kind of plato's allegory of the cave um so yeah uh it's it's yeah it, it's interesting but then like you know the 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 way that the these fundamental myths are twisted and either twisted or tweaked or just changed slightly to serve the purposes of the people in power you know I think that's he's questioning the fundamental nature of truth in in this book
3: yeah and, then, and I think that's that's what I'm saying about this idea of whose version of events. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have these version events and they're clearly being changed and they're clearly being twisted. Yeah.
2: But, you know, what is what is true? Yeah.
3: It's
2: hard to unpick, actually. I know when yeah. I was first reading this, like in the first couple of chapters, I know I texted you, Aaron, being like, wait, 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 wait. It's been a while since I read this one, but is this Terry does neo-Nazis? <laughs> There's a little yeah, bit of that, because, yeah. Because like the, the stuff yeah. with um, like the, the deep downers in the city, like stimulating the racial tensions and stuff like that and like
0: oh yeah yeah, absolutely like the the quote that I that I pulled specifically for that for that discussion was young dwarfs listen to him because he talked about history and destiny and all the other words that always got trotted out to put a gloss on slaughter and I was like oh gosh that's the last two years
3: yeah yeah I mean I think it applies to many kind of extreme belief yeah sets of beliefs doesn't it absolutely you know because it all boils down to making the other side other
0: and i forgot yep. to mention at the top of the episode this book came out in 2005 the, the middle east was on fire probably mainly because mm-hmm. we were bombing it um and, and there was a lot of this discussion going on in the world at the time and it's, it's really interesting yep. to see terry grapple with it
3: i actually really like as well though that he he doesn't take that I mean, of course, as you'd expect with Terry Pratchett, he doesn't take that on a surface level. Right. Because there's that brilliant moment with detritus as well, because previously with the trolls, they have been a little bit of a joke, Mm -hmm. you know, our stupid trolls, you know. And there's a bit where detritus gets crossed with vines and, uh, you know, and says, oh, yes, you know, when, when you're talking to the dwarfs, you know, mm-hmm. he has pussy feet. You know, you know, he's very gentle and nice to the dwarves. But with the trolls, kick down the door, no problem. You know, he just treats the trolls like his personal battering ram,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and just completely ignores the idea that trolls might have culture. Yeah, yeah. You know, Detritus gets cross with Vimes, and Vimes suddenly has this moment of like, oh, yeah, I do do that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I have done yeah. that. And, and um, like, I, I'm but- sorry
3: i'm sorry dude the where detritus is
2: like <laughs> yeah you know you're gonna go into the interrogation room but like leave your assumptions at the door mm-hmm.
3: yeah yeah there's various moments where just i feel like in this book detritus really comes yeah. into his own yeah as he's, he stops just being yeah. a joke and starts being uh you know a
2: much more rounded it's, it's really nice to see him yeah. as something other than like the face of police brutality
4: yeah
1: one of the <laughs> things that i notice and well, i noticed in the book is that the peacemaker his cross his shotgun crossbow is mentioned one time mm-hmm. in the book and whereas in other books it's it's the shaggy dog joke of the book usually mm-hmm. of what, lo- or, or i don't know maybe not shaggy dog because it is always like very satisfying to see it happen um just because it's a wonderful description of mayhem always, but it's only used in one scene and it's never referenced again in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then we have Brick, who's the anti-Brick joke, because he gets better and better and better every scene. Uh and yeah. it hurt my heart a little bit in a good way when uh when they're ta- when they're talking about Detritus's relationship with Brick, and they're like, Yeah, Detritus and Ruby have had trouble having kids. And I was like, Oh.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, we see that kind of family side of the trolls. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think up until then, the the trolls had been a little bit, it's a bit of a little bit of a joke that they just hit each other over the head kind
0: of thing. Yeah, even all the way through Monster's Regiment.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now it's, uh, it's, oh, actually, family life, culture, Mm -hmm. religion, the whole thing. Um, And it's nice to see the trolls getting that respect.
0: Yeah, I feel like too though. You know, jumping into these other themes area, I feel like at this point, thirty four books in, I got that right this time. Um, Vimes himself is a trope, and you know,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because like Vetinari like comments on this is like he's no longer like to other people, he is no longer a person. He is an icon. He is the he is the police officer who arrested the patrician who arrested a dragon who arrested two yeah. armies
4: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> which <laughs> like you know if you if you tell that to vimes he will say well there were there were some weird circumstances that <laughs> led to that but it's no the, the only thing that matters is he arrest i mean he arrested a you know he's arrested you know armies he's arrested a dragon it's he's a mythic person and like uh Sally is like, yeah, no, we like. I wanted to. I moved to the city because I wanted to learn policing from Sam Vaughn. Shit,
0: Justin, you saying that made me realize that whole and entire explains the guarding dark, Be- because operating by the rules of Discworld's uh, systems of belief, belief creates the gods.
4: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So. This belief in, not in Vimes himself as a deity, but in his single-minded pursuit of, you know, justice, whatever that might be. I feel like that is what creates the guarding dark, you know, because even Vimes himself believes in it. Yeah. Whether he puts a name to it.
1: It, 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 this is this is oh can we go into like by by hot Absolutely. by hot Harry that I don't think it'll I don't think it'll happen on the books we have left. I think that if Carrot ever became King of Ankh-Morpork, vibes would kill him.
2: Huh. I don't think you're wrong.
3: <laughs> I I have my own thoughts about Carrot. Carrot <laughs> is a, I feel like Carrot is quite <clears throat> Carrot is held up, isn't he? As is this uh, extremely good character. And I feel like we just forget that time when he just ran a guy through with his sword.
1: Yeah,
2: right
3: in cold blood. He,
1: he <laughs> is the, I mean, he's a very good person in the accepted, <laughs> um, I would say, like Anglo-Saxon hero way of like that. Any violence that Carrot does is justified. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, but this is it. I feel like he is. He is. He is standing up. For the uh the typical hero in quote marks in a story, where actually if you look at that character from another perspective, you think actually they're quite awful, oh
4: <laughs> yeah they've,
3: killed, <laughs> they've just callously killed a load of people and they've just done a load of stuff that is actually pretty dreadful and i think and I think this is it about carrot is I think he is not. The point is that he cannot be leader because if he were leader, it would be terrible. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and he yeah. knows.
3: And he knows that. Mm-hmm. He knows that. I mean, there's even a point, isn't there? Not in this book, but in one of the others, where he says, like, "You know, people need to do the right thing, not because Carrot told them to yeah. do." Yeah. Yep.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 In a it, oh. In a previous episode, we talked also about how creepy the uh, relationship between him and Angela is because it's not mm. clear that she could leave.
3: Yeah, it's coercive. It, it sometimes it does feel like that.
1: Which actually was I, I want to uh, sort of spin that off and another Sally thing because I think Sally is like slightly like the the dwarf stuff. The dwarf and troll stuff is immensely fascinating to me, but I I love Sally as like a playable yeah. of character for this. <laughs> the her her attraction to Carrot. I mean, obviously Carrot is like a good looking person, but it is entirely. It's the vampire instinct to be like the femme fatale for the hero. Mm -hmm. It's like it is the the, it's the Dracula's wives and Jonathan Harker thing.
4: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. No, totally. I think that's deliberate. I I think carrot is carrot is a much more three dimensional character than maybe people necessarily think.
2: It's just people don't want to think about the other dimensions. Exactly, yeah. and I,
3: you know, I think they're pretty dark. And uh, I know, I know, there are people out there who will not like me for this because people hold carrot <laughs> up as this kind of li- literally a hero, and it's like, yeah, but you know how often the hero is very problematic. And I think
4: mm-hmm.
2: what's funny is you're not you're not only not the first person to come onto this podcast and dislike carrot, you're not the first person named cat <laughs> to come on this podcast and dislike <laughs> carrot. <laughs>
0: that is true you know, huh, that is true it's I mean- not
2: that i dislike him
3: it's not that i dislike him it's just that <laughs> i i i don't trust him yeah
4: yeah <laughs> i don't you
1: know he honestly like having having just done this stupid personal project like for the last two months honestly like the way that he is framed it sort of kind of reminds me of james bond hmm. what carrot of how like yeah you know know the narrative is like oh hey this is like you know if you don't look at anything it's like oh hey he's doing all these good things you know doing these things saving the day but once you look at it and you have your second thoughts on it it's like wow this is really
3: (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's it it's that it's that character that's you know everyone's told oh you should like this guy and there's certain segment of the audience that goes okay i like that guy and then there's others of us who go hmm
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: and you know the my wife and i like to talk about how he's sort of the the indo-european king ideal like he, he you know they talk about how he wears the city like a cloak um he does the thing that's right for the city uh broadly speaking although you know question mark who determines that question mark um but i guess it's carrot uh but you know sort of skipping ahead to um another theme that i wanted to talk about a little bit is this whole idea of the consent of the governed is really is really uh talked about a lot vimes brings this up many times like he talks at length about how he doesn't understand you know the whole the whole thing with police is like there's a hundred of us and two thousand of them and if they actually organized and looked past our badges, they could just walk over us. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, right. the chess footnote where Vimes is like, I don't understand why the, the, the rooks and the pawns don't organize.
2: <laughs> yeah. The king just um, sits there doing nothing and-, <laughs> and the pawns are out there killing each yeah. other.
0: <laughs> and you know, and Vetinari's comment right at the end where eminent domains means eminent domain means naked theft by the government.
4: Yeah, there's
0: a little, little, little bit of a small L libertarian vibe in this book.
2: The this one also like continues the ongoing Vimes book thread of the who watches the Watchmen. Yeah, to the point of establishing mm-hmm. a entity that watches mm-hmm. the Watchmen that like you know back in night watch you know there was the like who watches the watchman vimes is like me it's always me i'm always watching myself and it's like this is the entity that is watching the it is the, the portion of vimes's soul that is watching him mm-hmm. like yeah. yeah made manifest and like partitioned off it's wild
0: um yeah like how at the very end uh they they have angua knock him over during his berserk rage because like, they're not worried that he's going to kill them. They're worried. That he's going to like literally rip himself apart, preventing himself from yeah. killing them.
3: Are we out the other themes and tropes bit? Sorry,
1: <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
0: we kind of rock it around. We a try bit. to
1: stick to the outline, but we jump around a lot yeah. because we can't. Cause
0: somebody brings something up and then the
1: outline, yeah. the outline
2: hardly exists just so that we can put our thoughts down and have something to work from <laughs> and not just be like rambling for two hours. Or longer? (laughs) Yeah, because I I ask because I've got some cool chemistry stuff to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go for it. (laughs) Uh,
3: So because the other thing that I didn't say at the start is I'm a chemist and Terry Pratchett loved chemistry and there's loads of chemistry stuff in the books all the way through uh, right from Equal Rights where you see Granny Weatherwax literally doing chemistry, literally distilling substances and using an alembic. Um, but there's really good troll chemistry. The troll chemistry book come, is is referred to in this. And I love it. I love it because it's not. none of this is an accident. Again, none of this is an accident. So, you know, there's this joke that all the troll drugs start with S. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: it's not yes. answered. Why do all the troll drugs start with S? Because it makes them easy to remember. Rest. Right? That's not the reason. They all start with S and they all start with a capital S. Do you notice? Mm-hmm. Every time they're written, mm-hmm. scrape, slice, slide, it's always a capital S. They start with S because they have sulfur in them.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh. I was like, as soon as you said that I'm like, oh, yeah. oh. it's true. That's brilliant. It's true. Oh.
3: It's true because it's a I love yeah, that. it's a reference to black powder, gunpowder, which is potassium nitrate, sulfur uh and 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 the other thing that's in that's in black powder right but the but the point is it's a reference to gunpowder right so they all, so any kind of troll drug is an explosive because oh. that's what that's what troll drugs do they blow their minds they literally god damn it wow literally <laughs> i love it
4: i love um, this
3: blow, <laughs> blow their minds i know how amazing is that you have look right? blown yeah, my mind yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, there's that bit where uh, Brick says, um, I'm going to find a startled pigeon and some alcohol. Yeah. Right? I I am pretty sure that's a reference to nitrate esters. Right?
0: Mm. Yeah, of, that makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of which nitroglycerin is one.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? So again, he's like, okay, yeah, the the really hard drugs. They're the, like, really good explosives. <laughs> Not just gunpowder. Like, they're really heavy stuff
4: yeah
3: Mm -hmm. uh so like right really sensitive heavy duty contact explosives type stuff yeah yeah so how cool yeah yeah, yeah. it's really i just and and now and now i have
2: to wonder whether like if we had gotten another 20 books if at some point the trolls would have invented semtex as a drug yeah almost (laughs) certainly it starts with an s
3: (laughs) yeah yeah i know Totally, yeah. I vaguely
0: cool. remember making something with like sulfur and iodine. It was like a contact explosive.
3: Uh, iodine and ammonia, nitrogen triiodide. I can't yeah, maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah, might have yeah, been. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think that one comes up. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it would
0: it would have been a funny little joke to have some troll smeared purple. You know.
3: Yes. Yeah, it would have. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing.
3: I know. Oh. I love I love all these things.
0: And Mr. Shine too, like the the fact that he can thermoregulate because he can just change his his crystalline properties. Ooh,
3: but that's really cool as well because oh, he's yeah. made of yeah. diamond. He's incredible, and mm-hmm. di- diamond is a, uh, a a terrible electrical conductor, but an excellent heat conductor. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, that that's not an accident. That's right you know, that's kind of just making this point that he, yeah, again, he could thermoregulate. Like, high-end computers use diamonds cooling, uh, use use sinks made of diamond to help cool the dry, mm-hmm. right? So, again, it's like that that whole thing. Like, it's not, you know, again, nothing is an accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although
0: it does make me then wonder about troll teeth because I think they're all diamonds. Yeah. Or, are, or, I guess, gems, I guess they say. So, like, it just makes me think it's like, Okay, well, you know, is Mister Shine then just like one big tooth? Like, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think maybe by this point he's slightly, uh, he's slightly brushed oh, aside that a old crown.
1: diamond
2: thing, hasn't he? Yeah.
1: I think if we go down this line too far, this becomes a complete family. Yeah, <laughs> I,
2: I think that there's been a few points recently where trolls have said something about like needing to like knock out a couple of teeth if they need a lot of cash in a uh, short right. amount of time.
0: Our our friend, the barbarian hero, too, who had yeah. dentures made out of yeah. That was several books ago, wasn't
1: a few. it? yeah. Um, I think like half the series yeah. ago.
0: Uh, other themes? Pope, folks want to pull? I mean, fatherhood is a clear, or parenthood at least, is a very clear through line for this one, too. Because there's something that I to completely
3: took for granted that I am not sure if maybe people who are not in this country would twig, which is that the book, uh, Where's My Cow, is a literal nod to the Osborne books, That's Not My. There is a whole series of children's books in in the UK that are called "That's Not My." So there's like "That's Not My Robot," "That's Not My Dragon," huh. "That's mm. Not My This," oh. "That's Not My Sheep," "That's Not My." I mean, there's hundreds, and anyone with a small child will have owned, you know, two dozen of these things. Ah, um, uh, okay. And so it is a. It's not, uh, you know. Again, he didn't make that up. <laughs> <laughs> Just like literally lifted that idea from those books and then made his own version of it.
0: Okay, so it would be if he had been a United, a US writer, he would have written about Sandra Boynton novels or <laughs> Sandra Boynton books. Maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have two children, so I've read many of those. Um, but yes, I actually own a copy of "Where's My Cow."
3: Yeah, me too. It's up on the shelf. I won't go and I won't go and dig <laughs> it out. But yeah yeah so that's the that's that's the book within the book
0: that's that's good to know actually that's that's some yeah that's some detail that we wouldn't have gotten from an American guest <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean I think you know that there are lots of things in all the books that are um bits of British culture and sometimes they're very time
1: specific
4: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: yeah when we had uh Ben last name uh um i can't remember his last name sorry ben um from patch yeah. but we were talk we were talking about like like you know terry will put in a reference to a tv series that like he and six other people watch mm-hmm. you know from like the 80s into a book and you know it's for him and those six yeah. people
4: yeah
3: yeah yeah it's true it's true so um and i think so it's easy to well actually you know what actually I've got there. Yeah, there is a good, there's a good reference, isn't there? There's a bit with Nobby and Colon where they have that little conversation, don't they? And says, war, Nobby, huh? What is it good for? Oh, yeah. Don't know, (laughs) Sarge. Freeing slaves, maybe? Well, okay. Defending yourself from a totalitarian aggressor? All right, I'll grant you that, but (laughs) saving civilization against the horde of... It doesn't do any good in the long run, is what I'm saying, Nobby, if you'll listen for five seconds altogether. And the thing is, that is a Monty Python reference. Uh-huh. Uh, which is the which is the what are the Raymonds ever done for us? But it is also a reference to a song. Uh yep. yeah by yeah, oh, yeah. Edwin
0: Starr. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh yeah, well also Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Um so the the bat so yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, it's the two two tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, you know, and he literally because that the and the reason I flagged that one is because there's even that huh in there which is
2: sort of mm-hmm. very big in yeah. that
3: song so it's like it's these two it's these two references and i feel
2: like a lot of people would get one or maybe the other but not both yeah because i got the python mm-hmm. res- reference but not the other
0: oh yeah. i actually didn't remember I, the. i didn't get the python yeah right? i didn't get the python reference <laughs> i just got and i've i've seen that film several times i've watched but...
2: i've watched way more pythons than is possibly good for me
3: <laughs> yeah and it's things that yeah, yeah. so it's, it's things like that where we just kind of just threw in a thing you know
0: mm-hmm. i guess before we move on to the buttons we should really talk about the the cosmic horror elements to the book mm. um because the the dwarven mind sign i'm not sure was referenced in earlier novels i mean we definitely had the deep downers like, and course. we had like the thing where they would hear things in the minds that was talked about in fifth elephant but this this feels entirely new, but Carrot seems to know about it. So,
1: you know. It is a, it's a, as you know, mm. Bob. Right. Yeah.
4: Um. <laughs>
3: There's a brilliant bit where Carrot lists a load of mind signs and I had never noticed this before. And of course he lists exactly eight. Because uh, mm-hmm. I'd never occurred to me to count before. And for some reason it did occur to me to count this time. And I've like, of course there are eight mind signs. Of course there are. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Naturally. Of course. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's the number eight again, because it just keeps coming up. Yeah. Um,
0: Although at least on L-Space, there's 12 listed.
3: Okay, but in, in that conversation <laughs> where Carrot mm-hmm. right. lists them, he lists eight. Yeah, yeah.
0: So one in particular, the long dark, which is just a symbol for a mine, uh, it looks pretty much just like the symbol for the London Underground.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which again, not an accident. Not an accident. <laughs> Um, and you know, actually, the first time I read that, I thought he is going to, and and then the whole thing with the cube. Um, I yeah. I assumed because they do to do this thing about you know what can you power with it? Well, anything. Uh, I assumed that he was going to go down that route of of building. You know, having done the train, he was then going to go down the route of literally building an underground right mm-hmm. in Ankh Morpork. and I think he probably would have gone there. Had he had the chance, but he sadly did not.
1: Yeah, but I th- that that feels like that feels like a moist book.
2: Yes, possibly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. uh, yeah that would have been. There's fun. there's
0: a whole there's a whole theory about the Undertaking, which is Vetinari's grand plan. Uh, and a lot of it is just you know collections of theories, stuffed together from various books. But yeah, this is a, this is the device is the, the linchpin of that whole mm-hmm.
2: thing. And just broadly, I love that we get so much more on dwarf culture in this book. That like we get a lot more on the trolls as well, and we had plenty on the dwarves. But the um is another like big leap forward in how well developed dwarf culture is within the world. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well again, yeah, again, you know, it's troll and dwarf culture. Yeah. So it's yeah. just nice to see mm-hmm. them both properly fleshed out. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I feel like, you know, from the cosmic horror point of view, I Pratchett had played with cosmic horror ideas right from the start, with mm-hmm. these things from the dungeon dimensions, you know, and he, he would he would play with that idea of uh oh it's so horrible I can't even describe it kind of Mm -hmm. thing which is what Lovecraft used to do of course and I feel like in this book in much the same way that Pratchett took some uh, Tolkien ideas and just messed around with them early on and now in and now later he's kind of saying okay all right fine I've messed around with dwarves being met I've made a joke about the fact but all dwarves are male, but they're obviously they can't all be male. So that's I know you know. And now I'm going to get into a big long exploration of what that means if you're a female hmm. dwarf. I feel like what he was maybe kind of doing here a little bit was like, all right, I've made a joke about the whole cosmic horror thing. Oh, now I'm going to do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh-huh. yeah. So it's okay. It's not just you know uh, played for laughs as these kind of tentacled horror. Th- things that are you know a a cod on the body of a crab or whatever I'm gonna I'm all right fine all right yes yes
4: yes
3: (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna do it properly I'm gonna like actually look at what that means and what it looks like and and what it does and how it's Mm -hmm. going to affect people
0: the whole thing with minds going bad Mm -hmm. was really fascinating to me and that that idea of you know the panic that can set in and how it how it's contagious was was really the thing that that appealed to me about this particular take on it because of the the way that it simultaneously is this, you know, millions of years old entity but then also something that's invited in and created at the same time.
2: I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like we need to have somebody on this podcast who like knows a lot about submarine psychology. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's something similar to that of, like, you know, this cramped space with no privacy where you are, uh, as somebody who enjoys a little bit of military history, you know, it's a horrid place to be, a submarine. Mm -hmm. Um, You're cramped. It's hot, which is never a thing you think about, but it's hot, it's wet, everything's too cramped, and you have no privacy, and you're with the same smelly people all the Mm. time.
0: Yeah, and the whole thing with where, where they're they're insistent that they have to keep the emblem surrounded by light at mm-hmm. all times.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: That scene, yeah, that scene where they're inter- when where Vimes is interrogating uh, the dwarf uh, with Bashfulson nearby, and you know the 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 candle falls over and the light goes out, and that's such a such a like classic horror yeah. trope.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then
0: also classic police trope where he's like. I'm not going to touch him. You're seeing me not touching him, you know.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It's yes, but also it's interesting from the point of view of the dwarf language, where they have these phrases like "endarkened," mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. where humans would say "enlightened." Yeah, yeah. And so for the dwarves, <laughs> dark is seeing clearly,
4: uh-huh. and yeah.
3: so keeping it in the light is kind of their version of us putting something in a drawer and pretending it's not there mm-hmm. right huh. they yeah. that's the that's what they are doing is putting it in putting it in the light is kind of getting it out of their sight almost
0: that's a i didn't even think of that that's a that's a great point
3: yeah so i think i think when that candle goes out whereas we the humans would see that as plunging it into darkness and hiding it mm-hmm. for the dwarves. That's now I have to look at this thing that I was not, I was trying to avoid.
0: But then also they're not supposed to burn it, which is also interesting.
1: because yeah, you, you, you can't destroy it, I guess. You, you, yeah, you can't destroy it because that's just destroy right.
3: symbols or words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's why Vimes is so, that's why Blackboard Monitor is such a, Double-edged,
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> title, isn't it? So, so the low king must have this like ca- Indiana Jones-style cavern with lots of things in, like you know, sodium arc spotlights or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe that would be good. That would. It's a shame he didn't get that far. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit about buttons because there's uh, a plethora to choose from in, in this book. <laughs> These are things that really, you know, slap you in the face in a few sentences.
2: Well, I highlighted the the war. What is it good for? Because um, I I really like that particular. I mean, it it's a dialogue that's both a joke and like not a joke.
0: Especially those last that that last yeah. couplet yeah. doesn't do any good in the long run. And then Nobby says, "Yeah, but in the long run, what does?"
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. Yes.
0: But also Terry answers that on, that question because it's that drip, drip, drip of societal change that doesn't happen, sometimes happens all at once, but most of the time takes long, hard work by lots of yeah. people.
3: Yeah. I think for me, actually, it's right at the start mm-hmm. where we have the things that tack wrote because you see the bias. The bias is obvious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the, the first mm-hmm. brother stood under the open sky and became too tall. You know, and it's that phrasing, too tall. Mm -hmm. You know, and the second brother stood under a roof of stone and achieved the correct height, and then the troll wandered the world unbidden and unwanted. And so immediately you're right there thinking, okay, dwarfs are right and everyone else is not. So whoever wrote this was, you know, bringing their bias. Mm -hmm. Whoever did this translation was bringing their bias straight to it. And you think, how often does that happen quite a
2: lot yeah
0: and i love how the book itself notes that in the original the last paragraph of the quoted text appears to be have been added by a much later hand which is referring to the paragraph about yeah. trolls yes mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: and it's even like that there's like and, and the un- unbidden and un- unwanted it honestly reminds me of cain mm-hmm. and like and all of the apocrypha that gets attached mm. to cain and. How, how, and how that was twisted by various, vi- various cultures to justify things. So the, mm-hmm. mar- the mark of King.
0: what's interesting, though, that I maybe I just skipped over it, but I don't think they ever refer in this book to the fact that trolls believe they're living backwards. They do. They do.
1: It's, it's There's an offhand reference to one of mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I think. But they,
3: I, I think he met Terry maybe thought uh, that's going to cause too much confusion. Yeah
2: i think i think terry might have run out of track on that one and just sort of uh (laughs) let's just set that aside
3: yeah we'll just forget about that bit for a moment yeah let's never not let's hope nobody (laughs) remembers that um
2: kat i i have another one that actually i think ties in nicely to your observation about keeping keeping the symbol in the light um so it's the his mind work fast flying in emergency supplies of common sense as human minds do can to construct a huge anchor in sanity and prove that <laughs> what happened hadn't really happened and if it had happened hadn't happened much <laughs>
3: because yes that's what brains do yeah mm-hmm. it's it's psychology yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's terry doing what he often does which is mess around with humans or mess around with uh delve into ideas of human psychology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you, and I, you know, I often wonder how much Young has he read? <laughs> like, because <laughs> there was, I mean, there's so many things. Uh, I mean, I think about the Tiffany books as well, where, you know, he taught first thoughts, second thoughts, third thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of sl- level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, yes, it's the same thing. It's like the way, like you say, the way human brains will just go, I can't cope with this. So I'm just going to make it, Somehow fit into my head,
2: yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I feel like I feel like that's kind of what the dwarves are doing by keeping the symbol in the light, too. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's it's fine. Like we don't have to, we don't have to, like care about it. It's fine. Um.
3: Exactly, exactly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's the it's it's the dwarf equivalent of a human burying, and we would say, I've just I've just buried that trauma, right. Right, right. But of course, for a dwarf, they you know burying something, everything is opposite. Right. So that would be I've taken that trauma and put it out in the light. (laughs) Yeah, it's you know it's just reversed. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I really like uh, Greg Bashfulson. I I mean he has complexities but he's also presented so simply. I I was looking for a better word than ascetic because he's not ascetic. He's just, he's he's living simply, I guess. And even more than that, the the sentence that really stuck out to me was, um, I can think deep thoughts. I don't believe I need a mountain over my head in order to be a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, mm-hmm. and then also later on, he doesn't need to carry an axe because he carries the idea of an axe, which is such terrible yeah. shit. Like <laughs> that's exactly what Terry would write.
3: But he does it. He 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 kills. Who does he kill? He doesn't
0: kill him. He just disables mm. him. Yeah. But it, it's, yeah like he, a,
3: it's like a chop to the neck.
0: Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a very samurai moment. Actually, yes. you know, it's yeah. that it's that single stroke.
4: Hmm.
3: Yeah, it felt like it was referencing kind of a lot of martial arts mm-hmm. type ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have to carry an axe because he he his mind and his body can be the axe. Yeah. Which is you know, I said so, earlier on like it's a sort of a reconstructionist thing um really paring down to the the base concepts and then re- rebuilding your your theory out of that.
4: Mm, yeah.
0: Um but then also vetinari says a wise ruler thinks twice before directing violence against someone because he does not approve of what they say. Hmm.
1: You have any buttons, Justin? Um well yeah, the, the thing that I was sort of like I think the, the big thing that I what was Vimes and the narrative's use of excuses. Um how the moment you find a bad excuse that that lets him, or the the moment you give you let something slide for a good excuse, that gives you leeway for bad excuses, and I I just think that's interesting of how, like, at least for Vimes, he he, especially with how much power he has been given, how he has to set limits for himself, and how he has to, you know. Make, yeah check himself that's
2: that's another one that i pulled but i think i think we kind of all pulled it the um you know once yeah uh i've got the i've got the text in here if, um would a minute have mattered no probably not although his young son appeared to have a very accurate internal clock possibly even two <laughs> minutes would be okay three minutes even you could go to five minutes perhaps but that was just it if you could go for five minutes then you'd go to 10 then half an hour a couple of hours and not see your son all evening so that was that six o'clock plot prompt every day. Read to young Sam, no excuses. He'd promise himself that no excuses, no excuses at all. Once you had a good excuse, you opened
1: the door to bad
2: excuses.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think at least part of that is like Vimes having leftovers of, you know, living on the streets and not having that structure growing up. And, you know, he, he it's him saying even as a workaholic I'm gonna have the you know I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna be there at least I'm gonna sh- yeah. I'm going to be present yeah because I think the last thing he wants to be is distant
0: which then also leads to some amazing set pieces uh, <laughs> oh yeah he doesn't e break turn on a cart which is just I mean, actually, there's a there's a bunch of really strong set pieces in in action set pieces yeah. in this book too. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh yeah, can we talk about the uh, the the coach going to Coombe Valley?
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah,
3: because okay, so this is a thing. So there's a thing that that Pratchett mentions quite a lot, which is when characters in various books, which are when characters are moving really fast, and he talks about the fact that the landscape ahead is bluish. And yep. behind it's red. red. Shift. So yeah, so that's yeah. red shift, which is very cool that he always <laughs> he always like throws that in and gets it the right way around. But then also with this one, of course, it's a it's it's a police car. So it's red too. Right. Yeah. Right? So,
4: Gosh, so that's yeah.
3: really cool. Plus then you've got the whole back to the future things yeah. thing.
1: With everything exploding around it. Once this hits 13 miles an hour, you're
3: gonna see some serious. <laughs> yeah, but also <laughs> there's a bit where There's that bit of dialogue with Willikins where he says, uh, uh, you know, Vime says something about the bad roads. And and Willikins says, however, that will not, in fact, matter. You know, in other
2: words, where we're going, we won't need roads.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I love all the things exploding around them, too.
2: Yeah. All the exploding cabbages.
0: (laughs) And cauliflower surprise, he says, as a cauliflower (laughs) explodes.
3: Yeah, and again, it's just one of these things where it's like, oh, you've just jammed three separate references into one paragraph. That's amazing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're they're so he's they're so layered too. Like you get two of them, and somebody's like, oh yeah, there's this one too. And you're like, crap, I missed that. And
2: yet, and yet, at the same time, like, it, even if you'd never seen Back to the Future, it would still be funny as hell, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's exactly. one of the things that I feel like particularly. So, Kat, I, I you know, in a lot of ways, share your fondness for the early books. But I, I definitely do see why, like, they aren't necessarily recommended starting point in terms of, like, I think a lot of the references end up being more critical to the content. And I think a lot of people haven't necessarily read or seen the stuff that's referenced in those books, um, if they're picking them up now. And so here, like, we're getting to the points where, like, the references and jokes are more like Easter egg, amplifying, you know, the story rather than being kind of necessary.
3: Yeah, he's done it subtly. He's doing it subtly now.
2: Because, like, you know, we as Americans get very few of the, like, very UK specific jokes, but they're still, you know, they're still funny books. And I've never been, like, you know, it's, I always love finding out, like, what the what the additional jokes are that i never got but it it doesn't like spoil Mm -hmm. my enjoyment
1: i think one of the things that like makes that improves it is that they're the real sense of easter eggs where if you see it it's the like you can you can point your finger and say i get that instead of it being entirely Mm -hmm. referential humor Mm -hmm. yeah which um I think that a lot of uh, I'll say modern writers. I'm not gonna name names. Um, haven't determined the difference. Like don't know don't know the difference between the <laughs> two, and assume that referential humor yeah. is an Easter egg.
3: But it takes it takes skill, doesn't it? It takes a lot of skill to get that right. Oh, yeah. it's
1: yeah, it's so hard to get it right and just like do and do it so seamlessly. I don't think
0: this was a direct reference, but in the amazing uh, assault on vimes's house that just has burned burned into my memory ever since i first read the book Willikins is reminds me so deeply of that alfred pennyworth scene where
1: oh yeah where he's, he's got, got the, the shotgun, shotgun. And, like
0: regrettably and i am unconstrained by by uh mr wayne's rules or something <laughs> like that oh yeah <laughs> yeah um but then also you know using a flamethrower on civil who is a dragon tamer like not the best idea
2: <laughs> and is wearing yeah. her full protective gear, and right. also you're in a like room with all the dragons who are then gonna be really really mad at that flamethrower because mm-hmm. like either either like either it's a rival or 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 it's really
1: sexy. <laughs> I think it's like, yeah. I think it's making them feel inadequate. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, except that their flame is described as significantly better. I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. But like every <laughs> time I, every time I get a description of those dragons, all I can think is they've got serious Chihuahua Napoleon <laughs> complexes. Like just because they're such, they
2: feel like the creatures. dragon is not yeah. like a pug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but
3: I think I think that's deliberate. Isn't yeah, it? that's like they that kind horribly, of horribly, like, yeah,
0: horribly overbred. Yeah. <laughs> yes um that also that whole scene also has another funny line where regrettably they had when choosing choice for young sam completely neglected the whole area of hard things with sharp edges
2: (laughs) yes uh although although maybe they should go um go back to you know when having death be the hog father in the in the mall and get a sword (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes that will be an educational lesson
3: yes yeah 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 that is such a great line isn't it that will be an important lesson yeah. yes <laughs> what if she cuts herself that will be an important lesson <laughs> it's like every parent everywhere is like okay yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. mastery over avoidance <laughs>
3: And of course, that bit in the in young Sam's bedroom is where we see the summoning dark kind of in the real world, mm-hmm. because yeah. the ball rolls into the hoop, mm-hmm. and you and the, the snake—it's just it it's a stuffed snake, yeah.
0: isn't it?
3: yeah—forms the tail, and so it appears in the in the real world,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, and it starts appearing a yeah. lot too,
3: yeah. Well, I think it appears three times.
0: I think so, yeah, yeah. It appears in the alley behind with with Red Kelly. Mm-hmm.
2: With the onion. With the onion. Yeah. Yeah. It appears in the places where Vimes is angry. (laughs) Well, the other time
3: where it appears, where I think it appears, which isn't obvious, is where Vimes is, Vimes puts the one-five scale of the painting around himself. And so you have Vimes inside this circular painting. Yeah. So he is the summoning dark. And I, and I, you know, that's just, it, I mean, it doesn't, it's not highlighted, but it's like, oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And that's right before it completely takes control of him. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. There's the veterinarian drum knot scene, uh, where given then a contest between an invisible and very powerful quasi-demonic thing of pure vengeance on the one hand and the commander on the other, where would you wager say... One dollar drum knot. I wouldn't, sir. That looks like one that would go to the judges.
2: <laughs> yeah. I love the, I love the like ongoing joke with the gooseberry. Yeah.
4: Gosh, and, yeah. Uh, the Paul I, I, gooseberry.
2: <laughs> I love that Vimes finally figures out that this thing could be useful to him. It's like, it's like that mm-hmm. moment where like yeah. you've gotten your elderly relative a piece of, like, some sort of modern (laughs) technology, and it's that that flip from, like, Mm -hmm. I'll never use this, this is useless, to, like, my phone is the best thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) And it tells me when to take my meds, and it's, like, I can tell it to, like, call people, and (laughs) it's that Mm -hmm. that switch.
1: See, I think that you... I made the joke before that I'm I, I the other kind of technology I hear it is like, I, I know what technology could do. So I've got the printer yeah. and a gun to, make <laughs> yeah, sure yeah, yeah. To, to take care of the printer if it makes a, a, the wrong noise. <laughs> Which,
0: Which is the wizards.
1: I feel like...
2: yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: Uh, I do love the Gooseberry, though, and how like by the end of the book it is still insert I'm, I'm sure yeah. if that
2: Gooseberry ever entered the high energy magic, magic building, like it would be shot on sight.
3: <laughs> I, I, you know, another thing, I, you know, it occurs to me that this might be another thing that's kind of a bit of a Britishism. Do you know that, do you know the idea that gooseberry is kind of slang for something that you don't want?
4: No. Do you know no. that slang?
3: Oh no. Okay. So if you call somebody a gooseberry in kind of English slang, that means they are kind of like a, a spare part. You don't want them there. Huh. They're kind of huh. where they shouldn't be. Huh. Right? So that, again... C- I'm, that's not an accident, right? He, he didn't, he wasn't just going through fruit yeah. and thinking, okay, well we've got. Because I was
2: just thinking, blackberry.
3: Yeah, of course, that is the that's the obvious yeah. one. But but he picked gooseberry on yeah. purpose because in that, I, well, I'm sure, I suspect because yeah, it's that slang of like, oh, he's being a bit of a gooseberry. Mm, interesting. You know, in other words, I don't mm. they're there and I don't really want them there. If yeah. it'd been a
2: few few years later, too, we might have gotten a raspberry. <laughs> Yes. Well, I, I just did a quick
0: Google, uh, and apparently, old gooseberry was also a medieval name for the devil. Interesting,
3: right? Wow, which oh. I'm sure he, yeah, of course he would have known that. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing about the blue nose, and the blue, right. which is a reference blue- to Bluetooth. Yeah. Bluetooth, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's another thing. The the
2: other the other quote that I really like is um the nose is also the only organ that can see backwards in time, which is like extremely <laughs> true. Yeah. uh because yeah. like sense memory <laughs> is mm-hmm. so it's such a thing. Although my I think one of my favorite things from this one though is um and this is something that like on this reread, I've generally previously never liked either nabi or colon but on this reread i've been i've been in particularly i've been maybe like colon less but i've been nabi's been growing on me and like i hate
0: <laughs> oh don't say <laughs> that
2: like La- <laughs> Lac- a fungus <laughs> yes <laughs> like I, I, I hate to say this but like you know i i'm starting to appreciate like all the times, like, that he's serving a very specific narrative purpose in relation to Colin, and, like, every time that Colin, yes. like, goes off on one of his, like, xenophobic tangents, Nobby's is there being like, really, Sarge? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But Nobby, Nobby
3: is very, very literal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's, that's Nobby's job, is to just kind of sit there and when somebody is saying something that is just the sort of thing that people say because it's just obviously true and that's what people always say Mm -hmm. it's it's nobby who kind of goes yeah but hang about right right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so it's a really i think they are such important characters
2: yeah, because
3: mm-hmm. I think they do. That's exactly what they do. I mean, they're obviously they're the comic relief characters, mm-hmm. but also they they mm-hmm. just sort of they sit there on the on the sidelines and just kind of question, yeah, what else mm-hmm. is going on. You know, it's a very it's a very kind of shakespearean sort of a uh, idea. Yeah. We'll just have the two oh, yeah. comedy characters who sort of comment on how ridiculous everything is.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And his his other role of course is there's going to be a fight acquire the most expensive thing you see.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I've been I've been really appreciating yeah. Nobby more on this read through than I ever have. Just like again, seeing seeing like that he plays a role in the narrative that's not just comedic relief, and and seeing his relationship with Fred.
0: And I think later in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the relationship between Nobby and Tawny, yes. <laughs> because that's that's something I have more mixed mm-hmm. feelings about, and I want to stay on the the positive stuff yeah. in this section of the recording.
1: <laughs> um one thing that i really enjoyed in this book was the idea of um, cultural exchange in community mm-hmm. through yeah. games oh gosh um, i wonder why which is <laughs> yeah I, I i can't imagine why um but i i think like the idea of it's something that is like normally if i would see if if, if in a story i would see a say like for example here A troll wearing a dwarven helmet in like a game store. I would think that was that would instead be like normally. I would think, oh, that's a very funny critique about um certain kinds of let's say cultural cosplay that goes on uh by uh, um (laughs) fucking um but um you know I like by people who maybe you know are have like a good idea of culture but are maybe not doing it in the most respectful way possible yeah, or fetishization but in yeah. this but in in this it is much more uh it is presented entirely as a thing like of cultural mm-hmm. sharing mm-hmm. and crossover which i mean is done because shine has created this safe space for i mean, what it sounds like younger dwarves and trolls to try to work past that barrier and I love the idea that the that the game of thud you play both sides yeah. and that mastery of the game is playing the side that you that like playing or becoming a master of the side that you culturally mm-hmm. don't associate mm-hmm.
0: Yeah and those cultural artifacts that they're that they have I think it's pretty explicitly laid out that they're given not taken yes. Yeah yes which mm-hmm. I think is the key mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it really is like that, that what you're describing, Justin, with the, the mastery of both sides, and especially the one that you that you might be predisposed to be weakest at, that feels like kind of a commentary on and maybe even a reversal of the discussion going postal in the in veterinary's office where they're talking about what side they play. But then also maybe it's because they're all humans talking, so they don't even have the ability to grasp it.
1: Because it's all humans and and the people who are commenting on how, oh, one side always wins mm. are all privileged. Yeah. Oh, you know, they're all privileged, boring. Yeah, like, it's Reacher rich- Gilt. Like, <clears throat> like, of
2: course, Reacher D- Gilt doesn't understand Thud.
1: Well, no, I, I, it's not. It's I don't think Reacher, like, Reacher seems to understand it. It's the it's yeah. the other mm-hmm. ones. It's the, it's the old money yeah. people who don't get Thud. Right. Richard Gil- Richard Gilt is his own like he's the anti Venari, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I I'm, I just find it in, like as somebody who you know loves game game design game theory it's like th- Thud is as a construct is so cool and I believe
2: um, friend of the show Lego Ankmor Pork has created a uh, instructions for a Thud set
1: yeah and I believe you can I I, I know that they at least produced a like. Game yes,
0: Play. there's a. You can buy that from the 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 uh, um, the Discworld shop. Uh, I've considered it. Might I have it. Now.
3: I have it on the shelf here. <laughs> of course, I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I haven't. I wouldn't consider myself an expert. It is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yes. Well, as you might expect. But yeah. Again, I think it is. It is that same motif of looking at things from the other side. Uh-huh. You know, I think, and I think okay. that's what he just kept doing in this book of like, okay, this is how this group of people see things, and this is how this other group of people see things, and do we see how both of them can be true?
4: Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> even exactly. though they
3: appear to be completely contradictory, and and the game thud is a way for him to, uh, you know, it's just a, another way for him to get that get that idea across.
1: Also, I I figure I'll, I'll, I'll like there is a cultural context for like the, the design of thud Um, there. It's, it comes from a lineage of uh, like Nordic and Celtic Mm -hmm. that exist that originated in like the, the very old like, and like Dr. Internet tells me that like the, the the first earliest signs of this is fourth century. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, very old stuff.
0: I find Pessimal also a very fascinating character. Um, in in no small part because it also demonstrates the like the different kinds of charisma that you see between Vimes and Carrot, because you know mm-hmm. p- you would you would think that that Pessimal would be you know sucked into into Carrot's orbit, but it's really when Vimes is assaulted, Pessimal is the one who leaps at yeah. Brick and like assaults him with his teeth. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's it's that it's that moment. To, it's the it's the general cloak of charisma versus Vimes' very specific. I'm an emergency leader. I lead an emergency. Is that's when I'm strongest, kind of thing.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: The, the other thing, I mean, I know that I certainly didn't twig this the first time I read FUD, but "pessimal" is a word, right? It's it's the opposite of optimal. Hmm. We we don't we don't oh, use it mm-hmm. much, but that's literally what it is, right? And so I think that's quite funny because <laughs> Pessimal is actually this really optimistic character. Mm-hmm. Right? He's he he is this true trope of he's kind of introduced as this trope of the 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 fussy little accountant type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. and then everything about him is the opposite of that. You know, he turns out to be really yeah. brave. He turns out to be really determined. He turns out to be really dedicated. He turns, yeah. So it's just like, mm-hmm. it's almost like Terry was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've taken the mickey out of accountants and things like that before. I'm going to, okay, here's another one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to turn, turn it all around. on He's it like,
2: said. he's like the opposite yeah. of veterinary's dark clerks, right? hmm In some
0: yeah. ways. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a bureaucrat's bureaucrat just i just realized we totally yeah. forgot to mention the actual weeb in the story andy hancock
1: god yeah oh no <laughs> the i mean i think that so i think that hancock is not a weeb um particularly but he is the sort of cosplay cosplay cop mm-hmm. um that I mean, that might not have been the intent, like, it might not have been the intention. It might have just been a uh, weird military enthusiast. But, like, that trope now <laughs> is, I mean, really present in, like, modern police officers. You see the people who are, like, I mean, co- like, cops c- cosplaying as what their idea of, like, opera, like, you know, special mm-hmm, forces yeah. are, you know, and, like, with the, their, like, Thin blue line Punisher patches, Mm -hmm. which I like. There's there's a point where I just like there are certain things that just just have soured completely in seventeen years for me, and that's one of them. But it's also a thing of like it's such a minimal part of a book that I'm just like putting it out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I understand. it's like it's one of those things like I know what the original intent is, but I just cannot reconcile Mm -hmm. it with with like who Hancock is in 2022. Mm
3: Yeah, I mean I think a lot of the kind of the the modern issues with policing are you know would you start would you even start writing a series with coppers at the center of it in 2022 would right. you would you even do I've... that you know basically the coppers are the heroes I mean I don't know can you get yeah. away with that it's
1: it as somebody presently doing a uh, a second podcast that you know has to talk about policing a lot and it's it, it's i mean there's so much that we as like people who consume culture have assimilated about police through fiction mm. that is very like i'm not gonna say pratchett is is like you know like copaganda or anything but i think that like there are some parts of it that are like it, it, especially earlier in the series where it's some things that are mm-hmm. rather unobserved
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And just taken as sort of a trope, um, and you know it makes it makes looking back at those hard, but I I don't think it's impossible. Um, like I think like especially after pyramids, um, we did that in our show. Like I liked guards guards, and I'm like it's you know there's things that I'm willing to see that are like age like milk, but like there's parts, but it's still a good book, and there's yeah. still good things you can take out of it. Which this is entirely a your mileage may vary thing.
2: Uh I feel like part of it also is that the the early vimes slash watch books are like the watch is still the underdog. Like at the in Guards Cards, are still the Day Watch who are like portrayed as not being good. Um and it's it's much more like noir detective sort of feel and then but then like now we get into the later ones where we've kind of morphed morphed away from that and now we're into political thriller territory i think that that helps at least for me
0: so death's near vimes experience
1: (laughs) (laughs) how many times do we think that death has seen vimes
0: quite a few i'm not sure this how many times he's said
2: hello is the challenge (laughs) the fact that he shows up with a book
1: Yeah. yeah <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, don't mind me. I'm just here you know, just in case i've got I've got like thirty minutes on my calendar spaced out today, but there's also like um, weird we'll meta
0: commentary that I think Terry himself is doing right there because you know it's in this section where you're like Vimes could actually die, and then death's like you know skipping ahead to the end is the sensible solution, right? I guess I'm not human
3: yeah it's yeah. it's that whole thing, isn't it? has it? Ever, has it never struck you that the concept of a written narrative is somewhat strange? <laughs> yeah. Except, uh, yeah. It is a made up story. Very strange. All one needs to do is turn to the last page and the answer is there. Therefore, what therefore is the point of deliberately not knowing. <laughs> you know, just like, okay.
1: Hi, welcome to my thoughts on spoiler culture. <laughs> um, as somebody who has made it my bit for three plus years, of like dodging spoilers and you know it's very funny to me (laughs) um, as somebody who like does not care about them except when i'm making content about stuff so this was very much of death my homie my (laughs) eternal friend Uh,
3: but i also think as well particularly with this book you sort of think yeah but if i turn to the end that's not going to answer anything, because all the answers are actually a bit before that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I, yeah, if you do it properly, the answer is not on the last page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, which is sort of like a commentary that it's like, it's not about the destination. It's about how you're getting there as well. Because it's like, we know that there's not going to, I, I think we all know on a level that there's not going to be this war between the dwarves and trolls. Uh, but like my my interesting thing is how is that going to be resolved what is what is the secret there i don't care about the murder like the murder the murder ends t- in a real way like the murder ends up being it was an accident in the heat of the moment and nobody knows who the murderer mm-hmm. is yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah
3: so they they you know it's not who done it because it who it, it, the weather did it yeah right
4: yeah <laughs> yes
0: yeah. Because that's not important. The important part is, why were they all in the room together?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're asking the wrong question.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is my favorite type yeah. of story. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And such a veterinary move, too.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And then there's the C-plot of the book, which is the girls' night out. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of not skipping ahead to the end, I'm going to skip ahead to the end for a minute and say... Gosh, is there relief on being done with the girls' night out? Such like <laughs> that's a, mood. a vibe. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, are we mean... done with fun? Oh, thank God.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I didn't I didn't like this. I didn't like it. I didn't like any of it. I'm sorry.
1: I think there are I think there are parts of yeah. it that I like, but I, I, I like Sally and Angua
0: bonding. Yeah,
2: I like that. All right. And cheery, All right. and over, cheery as over, well as the and cheery oh, being yeah. there as the like um, neutral party between mm-hmm. Angua and Sally. Mm. But then there's Tawny. <laughs> I yeah. I
0: do like we get to see beers. That's yeah. nice. And Igor, yeah. who's not an Igor. Yep. That's, but yeah, we should talk about Tawny.
3: I want yeah, to no, like you her. see you set and now there's another one. Igor, Igor, or Igor.
2: I say Igor. Igor.
3: See, I always read it as Igor, but now, but I believe it is correctly Igor.
0: <laughs> I think my my pronunciation of it is entirely shaped by the uh, the film uh, Young Frankenstein.
3: Mm. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a random aside. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just after all the work that Terry Pratchett had done with moving away from female characters. As just being characters dressed in skimpy outfits. Right. And okay, he took the Mickey out of it, but he nevertheless still did it a bit. You know, he's done all this work and then he just goes straight back to it with Tawny.
4: Yeah.
3: And she's and she's 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 beautiful, but she's stupid. And he's like, oh, really? Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. And then all that stuff with Nobby as well, where Nobby, you know, in Jingo, Nobby is um Nobby is kind of exploring his own, his own sort of uh, gender presentation and all of those things, which is really cool and really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then immediately you've yeah. got Nobby wandering over to a strip club and pricking up the beautiful
2: stupid girl, and
3: you're like, "Oh, really?
2: <laughs> Can we have some oh, man?" <laughs> and there's e- there's even a joke about that thing with that that thing with Nobby. From Jingo, which is that that Tawny's real name is Betty, and she's like nobody exactly want, you know, nobody would want to see a right. stripper Ex- named Betty, exactly. and of course not his stripper name. You
3: could have done uh, so uh,
4: much.
3: I mean, it just fe- it almost feels un-Terry Pratchett, right? Because it's Terry's, yeah. Pratch- you know, his thing is to just take the obvious route if, and then not do it.
1: Yeah, you know, and I it feels if she'd just been smart, yeah. it would have been it would have been good, a lot of the a lot of the stuff with the girls night feels a lot like trying to have your cake and eat mm-hmm. it too. Like where you're trying to do all mm-hmm. these funny week of the camera jokes, but like, like about like, Oh yeah. But you don't actually subvert the genre. You can still lean into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff in the, in the, in these sequences where it's like, it feels like a Terry Pratchett of 20 books ago. It yeah. feels like a
0: first pass to me. It feels like, It feels like he started and never finished.
3: It's just a shame. I thought it was just a shame because it was just so much of it was just a little bit cringy. And I just thought, really? We could have done better with this. We could have been much more interesting with this.
0: Yeah. And like tangentially, the whole the little the little joke where, you know, um, female vampires can't reassemble their clothing. I was like, I get the joke, but it's not funny. Like, this is your world, Terry. You can fix this. Yeah. You can make whatever you want.
3: Yeah. The women have to be running around naked. Yeah, Yawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, it. Yeah. It, I just, yeah. It just felt like a shame after. You know, and there's that good scene earlier on as well where Anguer, is that is in Thud, isn't it? Sorry, I'm getting the mix. Is it in Thud, where Angua has a go at one of the other officers? Is that this book or is that another book? Oh dear. I can't remember.
2: I think it's I think it's this one because Angua spends a lot of time like you know, having she spends a lot of time mm-hmm. like going between wolf and yeah, so someone people someone wolf whistles in her this one.
3: Or or, or they're yeah. about to wolf whistle.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Her.
3: Yes. And she pins yeah. him up against the wall and just, you know, literally With two stilettos, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. And uh, you know, and that's really interesting. And then you think really and then you went to a strip club. Yeah. Yeah, really?
0: Okay. And like <laughs> you don't have to be naked to be covered in slime. Like you can be covered in slime and not be naked. Like it's not hard.
3: Yeah, I just yeah. Uh, Yes, I know. I don't That's a bummer. I don't think it ages well. That is a bit that doesn't age well. That
0: It just feels unshaped. Yeah. Like I get the I get where he was going, but he didn't go there. Like he pointed to where he wanted to go but didn't go.
2: hmm Yeah. Having having the bonding between Angua and Sally as a C-plot, I, I do like that because it is a nice like background mirror mm-hmm. of the stuff with the dwarves and the trolls where there's this like long standing animosity mm-hmm. and we start with like a bit of POV from either of them, like each of them being just like, yeah, I just like hate this person mm-hmm. on... Sight. Yeah, I
3: think that's what he was...
2: Yeah. And, and having them like you know, be be able to be you know coworkers and teammates and potentially even friends by the end of that girls' night and like you know, adventures etc. Is mm-hmm. I like that, but like
3: ugh. yeah, I it's it's really
2: just Tawny to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. I just I yeah. just don't like yeah. that character. And it you know, there's such a good opportunity to have like you know a a sex worker who doesn't conform to, like, the sex t- worker stereotypes that we have as a culture, right? That she could have been so interesting and, like, if she'd been f- fully well-rounded, like, actually legitimately been very interesting. You
0: know, the, they break it off at the end because she doesn't cook the way his mom does. The What they could have done is, like, Nabi could have just not cared at all what she looks like She cooks like my mom. Yeah. Like, that could have been a much better ending. Yeah. 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 You know, because, like, I get the joke that, you know, but maybe he was trying to do something with this jerk thing. I don't like it. I don't get it. I think that it could have. I think that you're right. She could have been smart. She could have been capable. She could have been all sorts of things. And they could have loved each other because they like the same food. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and meanwhile, like, what's weird is that some of my favorite Nobby moments from like the Nobby Colon dialogue are actually in relation to Tawny when Colon's like, oh, no, she's, you know, she's stripping for money. That's, that's, you know, that's uh, not acceptable. And Nobby's like, what, what's the problem? She's good at it. I need I yeah. like seeing naked ladies. Other people like seeing naked ladies. What's the issue? She's incredibly athletic <laughs> yeah. and
0: it takes a lot of talent to do that.
2: Right, you know? right. That like that that seems like the best part of Tani, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, where is just like, why why would I have a problem dating a stripper? Like, mm-hmm. what's the issue with this? I'm yeah. not jealous. Like, it's cool. Yeah, that's
3: that was good, but it's just to her itself we're just like oh did we have to do that <laughs>
4: yeah
3: yeah I mean yeah I, yeah. I don't, yeah I mean I don't know I, sp- I don't know if he was thinking maybe <laughs> uh because I'm now thinking of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy her name has oh, yeah. escaped me But you know that that is the joke there isn't it she, she's incredibly beautiful and an astrophysicist You know, and I I don't, maybe he was thinking, I Mm -hmm. can't do that. It's already been done. Uh, That joke has already been done, you know, Mm. but it's kind of like, well, yeah, but then I say, what you've done is just made her really stupid, but like,
1: yeah.
4: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Oh, well. Sad sigh. Any other... Pre- I mean, we're near the end of the the series, so there's going to be lots of references, but what are some particularly interesting references to uh, other parts of Discord um, that you'll Just because it's out.
1: fresh in the memory, like, Vime's dealing with the post office is very funny.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the like, stamps. oh,
1: like two stamps, one for each side of Coombe Valley. Right.
2: Also, we find out that the, the uh, broccoli or the cabbage... Stamps explode, apparently.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which, is there, is there, cat? is there some sort of chemistry behind that? Uh.
4: Cabbages
1: <laughs> being particularly flammable or explosive?
0: I mean, sort of. Brassica is, uh, generally speaking, somewhat...
1: Yeah, I, ones think
3: ones I
2: think that, yeah.
0: There are sulfur compounds.
2: Or is it just foreshadowing, foreshadowing the exploding cabbages as they <laughs> yes. drive down uh, the road? Possibly, uh. I
3: don't you know what i don't know i'd have to look it up there might be something that it wouldn't surprise me it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest there probably is something some some kind of explosive link there you have got yeah you have got sulfur compounds in these things so yeah maybe i don't know i'd have to check mm-hmm. yeah i mean that sounds like a terror <laughs> pressure thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, Moist could have used that carriage in the previous book. Yes,
3: yeah. Well, he didn't That's think true. to ask the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I have actually got a good one, which I think you might like, which is, so the word at the end that activates the cube is orc, right? A-W-K. But uh, apparently mm-hmm. this, it Terry was playing with the, um, the sound of orc versus orc. As in O R C, oh. so the word is not the word is not oh. A W K, it's O R C, and that that was a forward nod oh. to unseen academicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's oh, interesting. Cool. <laughs> yeah, but it it kind of huh. got kind of got lost, unfortunately, because by the yeah. time he was writing unseen academicals, he was starting to struggle.
0: I, that might have. That might make a lot of sense to folks particularly familiar with very regional accents. In yeah, the maybe UK it as well. sounds
3: because when I say the two words, they sound identical. Orc and orc. I mean, I can't, I can't make them sound different.
0: Yeah. I, I, right. And a Californian accent says right. orc and orc.
1: orc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. I we had this discussion on I, Babpod Pod this week. Anna, how'd you say it? I said Oregon.
4: Oh dear, um, and you know the, the oh, East dear. Coast
1: to think of we, you know make your vowels as big as possible. Whereas the, the West Coast, we um, we want to take as little time saying our vowels as possible. Wait, so,
3: so hang on, I you you need to say well, you need to character. say that name now because I don't know the difference. It's Oregon. supposed
2: to be Oregon, Oregon,
1: Oregon. <laughs> and yeah, it's Oregon. Notice how like there isn't that it's such like Oregon idea there. Yeah. I say it's Oregon,
2: which is it's funny because there's a lot of like. There's a lot of specific like towns and stuff like that. Um, in like where I grew up, where you do swallow half the word. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's like, that's also
1: that's also just the the English predilection to making up
3: letters. <laughs> that, sort of, that is um. true, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a place, there's a place not far from where I live, which the name of it is spelled T O W E S C, Towester, anyway I'm not I'm misspelling it terribly but it's mm-hmm. pronounced toaster literally toaster and the first time I because it's quite a small place it's not a very famous place you know the, the, the apologies to re- residents of toaster but the first time I heard it I was like what toaster
4: <laughs> but yeah
3: yeah 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 so yeah I mean we do that all the time you know and then there's whole,
1: the whole Worcester thing
4: you know? oh. <laughs> Right,
1: <laughs> the dragging like, because it's, that's one of those things where it's like I've read this word so many times, and then I see it, and they're like, "You mean and I'm like, "I'm sorry, there, there was there are multiple syllables missing from this word."
3: It's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. It's nice to
0: see that Mister Pony landed on his oh, feet yeah. after the clacks. Yeah. He's now yeah. head of the Artificers Guild.
2: That's yeah. a that's a big step up for him. Good job, Mister Pony.
0: And, mm. you know, this brought, I'm making a broad swing here, but this is more or less the end of the dwarf culture meta plot, if I remember correctly, between Greg Bashelson, Cheery, the reproach mob between the trolls and the dwarves, and kind of the friendly leverage between Agmore Park and the Low King. This feels like the end of that particular meta plot to me.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: But also, this feels, as you said, on a like kind of the end of the watch series
2: yeah it's snuff even though we get one more but it's vimes it's
0: it's i mean that's more a country gentleman like yeah book than the watch if i like i mean i haven't read it in a while so i could be wrong
2: yeah but that's one i've only read once i I was just gonna say snuff is interesting
3: because it is one of the only two books that doesn't have death in it Mm. so there's Mm.
4: hmm.
0: which is interesting with the name
3: yeah
2: one of my favorite callbacks in this book is the use of exclamation marks as an indicator of sanity, <laughs> um, which you only get if you read it. Unfortunately, it doesn't come across in the audiobook. But when Vimes is getting like really unhinged, mm. he starts using a lot of exclamation right. points.
0: Oh, yeah. When he's yelling the where's my cow? The yeah, book, it's like too. five exclamation
2: <laughs> points after cow.
0: And the uh, I do also love it when B.S. Johnson yeah. shows back
1: I up. I always
2: love B.S. Johnson. Oh, always, always.
0: Yeah, that that apartment building that just sounds like a, a <laughs> Boshian nightmare. Uh, anything else we find important to talk about? Do you want to talk about the Summoning Dark again? Um, Since it would I be three times is. now.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean the thing I was, I've, was the thing I said earlier was that bit where Vimes becomes the Summoning Dark. I mean, I mm. think that because that's done, you have to really visualize yeah. it. Yeah. But then once you do visualize it, you think, oh. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) It's a surprisingly popular tattoo in the Discworld fandom. It
3: is. I've seen seen a lot of those. (laughs)
0: Both that and the guarding dark.
2: Erin, there's something from um, what stood up particularly well to the test of time that you have in there that I'd love to hear you talk about.
0: So, like, the discomfort that Carrot has around the deep downers and the way that the deep downers react to carrot is really interesting to me because of the way it feels to me. Other people may have different experiences and that's okay. I went to a non-denominational, but predominantly Jewish, like 60% or so of the student body was Jewish university. I'm vaguely Jewish. Uh, but like being in close contact with people who are significantly more religious in broadly speaking, the same religion, although a lot of it looks very different is very familiar to me in the way that the deep downers practice stuff that carrot feels like very viscerally seems to feel Mm -hmm. weird about. Mm -hmm. And that's, it, it feels to me like that, I don't know. Maybe it's just a common thing. Maybe Terry actually knew a whole bunch of Jewish people and had this like conversations about this with them. I don't know. All I know is that the the levels of devotion to traditional dwarven values like stood out to me in a way that felt very solid and realistic.
2: Yeah. Um. And I think I I did want to ping off of that when we were we were talking before about like is dwarfish culture a religion is this religious fundamentalism because they're not worshiping anything but i think i think that they they do have all of the like ritual significance Mm -hmm. and um strong court cultural aspects that do come along with a lot of religions it's just like that they have a lot of like orthodoxy it's just that they don't they don't necessarily worship you know a specific being or anything.
0: Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing about dwarf, dwarven dwarven religion, I'm just going to shorthand there is fundamentally an indigenous religion. It's not something, you know, there, there are proselytizing religions like our friend Constable visits where anybody can join, but dwarves just like a lot of Jews, we're going to ignore a couple of the sects. When you say, Hey, I want to become a Jew. They say, why mm-hmm. they don't, You know, you're not, it's not an exclusion. It's a, but you're not of the people. Why would you join? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're so, you know, Judaism in in particular, and I'm going to speak well out of my range of expertise here. Um, just acknowledging that for the people listening at home, it's like, it's, it's a world religion by accident, I guess, just because we kept moving around. Um, but you know we talked about that with with uh mark in, in monstrous regiments how there there are very clear parallels there to you know well kick the kick the people who have the gold out first mm. and take their gold yeah mm.
3: i th- i think he was i think terry Patrick was just trying to reflect that thing which is very common i think and it sort of goes a, it sort of goes across lots of religions doesn't it where you have the older generation who are very strict and very and are very keen Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. maintaining that tradition and then you have the younger generation who are more progressive and are kind of asking starting to ask difficult questions about well but actually I know somebody Mm -hmm. from this other group and they're not Horrendous. In fact, I quite like them, and and you know we sat down over a game and we played a game and we drank beer together and we did all of these things. Like you're telling me that this person is evil and not to be trusted, and that's not my experience.
0: But then also, also the you know there are others who are also young who are drawn to these fundamentalists.
2: Yeah, that I was just going to ping on that and say like because that's it's the it's something that we see now is like people who people who veer away from the fundamentalism, but then there's also people who grew up in a more moderate household who reach out to the fundamentalism to find meaning. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately.
3: We don't there isn't a dwarf character
1: doing that, is there? Is it? I
0: mean, um
2: like not not
0: the one that we see on the page, like named.
1: Like, how Clever is like, he's yeah. originally a city dwarf who goes and gets instruction and then becomes right. more yeah. fundamentalist in that because he's seeking that structure yeah. and that connection to his ancestry.
0: Well, right. and now placing this in the time period, I'm now realizing exactly what he's referring to.
1: Yeah, but I think
3: he was very carefully not pinning it on any one specific group he was just mm-hmm. trying yeah. to say yeah. look you know there are two, again it's that same message all the way through I mean I think he was very careful about this it's like there there yes. there are these There are yeah, always two sides to this you know there is this way of looking mm-hmm. at it
4: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah and and at then there is the sides. other
3: way of looking at it and it's it's you know they they might be in conflict with each other but it doesn't necessarily mean that one is wrong Um, And I think... It means there's work to be done. Exactly, exactly. And I think right, you know, right the way through to the end of this book, it's kind of, wouldn't it be
2: better if people sat down and had a chat?
4: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And it's not something unique to religion either, because it was that sort of like drawing in the like somewhat disillusioned and aimless young people into a like restrictive... Set of you know behaviors and morals where I was like, oh, so this is this is neo Nazis.
1: Yeah, it's not even yeah. like it's it's a common thing. Like it's this is how mm-hmm. cults happen. Like mm-hmm. like you know this is yeah. this is people reach out to disaffected populations. Um, and, and I mean this isn't something that it. I this is a feature of fascism, but not like it is not solely. Um, an identifier of it but like you see like any like especially like cults that are reaching out to disaffected youth um that's always a sex thing <laughs> um some old man is you know <laughs> yeah um but yeah that, like that is like it it's a it's a very common manipulative practice um whether yeah intentional or not
0: um before we go, Justin, uh, however clever they are, vampires can't resist thinking that no one will recognize their name if they spell it backwards.
4: Um,
1: I, God, you know, so I ran a, I ran a, I ran a vampire game where I was, um, I did the, I did this with one of the characters from Dracula. And I did like an anagram, but that was like, it was still, but it was like, Oh, you didn't get that? Really? It's like, but yeah, um every time every I have been coded that anytime I see the word a la carte, I'm like, well
0: Okay. Um let's rate the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Kat, you wanna lead us off?
3: So the rating, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh <laughs> yeah. Eight out of eight mind signs.
1: Nine out of ten tiny painted trolls.
2: An undisclosed, but very unwise, number of sticky cocktails with (laughs) suggestive names.
0: And I give this book 32 Dwarfs, 8 Trolls, and a Thudstone. Twice.
1: Oh, very good.
0: All right, Justin, you get to read the next book cover.
1: Yes, I've got Wintersmith here, book 35. When the spirit of winter takes a fancy Tiffany aching, he wants her to stay in his gleaming frozen world. Forever. It takes all the young witch's skill and cunning, as well as help from the legendary Granny Weatherwax and the irrepressible Wee Free Men to survive until spring. Because if Tiffany doesn't make it to spring, spring won't come for anyone. All right. We've got another Tiffany book.
0: Yeah. Right in time for uh, The Turning of the Seasons.
3: Yeah. I love Wintersmith. Yeah. I, I think that's the best Tiffany book.
1: All right.
0: Well, before we go, Kat, is there anything that you would like to plug?
3: Uh, well, I just my um, my own story, which I mentioned at the start, uh, but yeah, when I was young, I did not need magic, is written and narrated by me and is on Pseudopod right now, is the current episode on Pseudopod. So, but by the time this goes out, it might not be. So it's episode 832. Uh, so it's a Flash on the Borderlands episode. And there are two other amazing stories in there as well with them. Um, you know uh yeah anyway i won't say but anyway yeah go and listen to it because uh obviously i'd love it if you listen to mine but also the other two stories are amazing as well
0: oh every time that the escape artists do flash fiction it's just great
3: yeah i mean i i love what we do with that because we always we spend we spend ages like finding stories to group together mm-hmm. and this this particular crop of kind of three stories with sort of creepy older characters is just brilliant (laughs) I love it so
4: yeah well
0: thank you so much for joining us Uh, I can now say tonight
3: thank you you for having me no I've really it's been great I really you know I loved just picking my way through thud Mm -hmm. and finding all of these things that I'd sort of half forgotten I mean it's so much fun. Like this this point in the in Terry Pratchett's writing, he really was absolutely on form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's just a joy to just sort of go through and find
0: all the things. It really is. The complete discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the fair use doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please, share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at atuinpod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.